Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Caleb. Um, you know that song, I've heard it a couple times, and um, it was one of those songs where like, I think a lot of people I know were like, man, I love this song. And I was kind of like, yeah, it's good. Like, it's pretty good, you know? Uh, but today, today was different. Today was like, when I was singing and reading those words, I was like, yes, like, I see it. That's, that's like, that's life, man. And that's, I can resonate with that. And that was really meaningful for me. So thank you, Praise Team. Like, especially those first few lines, I feel like in this day and age, man, so relevant. This idea of like, I'm carrying a burden that I wasn't created to, to bear. And like, I'm kind of like struggling with the weight of that. That's, that's really powerful. So thank you, worship team. And thank you, everyone here. Uh, for joining us for church today, um, whether you're watching online in a different part of the country or in a different part of town, uh, or if you're here in this room, and we want to welcome all of our uh, uh, Impact Your Health Clinic volunteers. Thank you so much for joining us for worship today, and uh, any other guests that's here, we're so glad that you are joining us. We are starting a brand new series uh, this week, and it's going to go for, I think, three. And I say I think because oftentimes God changes my plans, and I'm cool with that. So it's going to be at least two, maybe three-part series, and the series is called Doubt. That's it. Just Doubt. I know it's not that creative. It's not a super creative title. And I know that as of late, my series titles have not been very creative because the last one, you guys remember what it was called? How to Study the Bible. That was it. It was just how to study. But this series is called Doubt. And I think it's pretty clear from the title who this series is for and what this series is about. This series is for anyone who may be struggling with doubt in this season of life. Uh, it may be anyone who questions are creeping up that you've never asked before, and these questions are making you feel uncomfortable or making you feel nervous. These are questions that you've never really asked, but you heard something, learned something, watched something, and now you're like, hmm, that's a really interesting point. Never really thought about that. And you're a little bit nervous because you're afraid of what that might mean and what it might do and how it might kind of cascade into other ideas. And you've maybe, or, or these are questions that you've had and you've asked before, and you really didn't get any satisfying or helpful answers. In fact, maybe you got actually very unhelpful and maybe harmful and rude or, or, or answers that made you feel small and like uh, you weren't able to really be yourself in sharing those down. So this series is, if you're in that place, this series is for you. But this series is also for anyone who will end up in that place at some point. And I believe that pretty much all of us have either gone through that, are going through that, or some point in time will go through that. That there will be a time where you will doubt, where you will question, where you will wonder about the faith that you were taught as a child. And whether this is what you really believe, whether it makes sense to you, whether this is something you want to continue to follow. And finally, this series is for anyone who is the recipient or the receiver of doubt. In, in other words, this is for anyone, if you are the person that someone is coming to to find answers and certainty. Someone who has doubt, like the first two groups of people, they come to you and you say, I had a question and I don't know what to do with this and what does this mean when, when it says this and, and what about that? And if you're the person that someone is coming to looking for answers, that's a very difficult place to be. It's a hard place to be, but the series is also for you. And ultimately, what this series is about is about navigating doubt and managing doubt. And this is important because I'm not saying this series is about resolving doubt. 
So when I say that we're having a series on doubt, what we're not doing is, at the end of this message, you're not going to have all your answers or all your questions answered. You're not going to walk away from this church saying, oh, everything I doubted and wondered about, it all makes perfect sense now. That's not what's going to happen. What we're going to do is we're going to learn about how to navigate doubt, how to approach doubt, how to understand doubt so that it will lead us and be a catalyst into deeper, richer faith. So this is the reason actually why I kept the title for this series so simple, because I think there is going to come a time where you're going to be in a place of doubt or dealing with doubt or dealing with someone in doubt, and you're going to think, wow, I should have paid attention at church back that, that one time. I really, I, I, he, Chris talked about something and I forgot. And so all you got to do is search on Google, Chris Chong, doubt. And this series will pop up. That's why I didn't make a creative title that's all like interesting and funny and you have no idea what I'm really talking about. Because I want you to be able to come back, search Rock Fellowship, doubt, and you will find this series. And I'm hoping that in that moment or now, it's going to be a blessing for you as you navigate and struggle with doubt. So next week is kind of the practical message of the series. Next week is where we're going to talk, okay, what do you really do? What do you actually do when you have doubts and questions and you're struggling? What are you actually supposed to do? That's next week, the practical message. Today is, is helping us to understand a couple really important things about doubt. And I think by, by setting us up in that way, it's going to prepare us to be able to deal with doubt in a more healthy and a better, in a better way. So with that, I want to invite you guys to pray with me. And let's listen to, let's get into the message. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, I, I felt strongly at some point that we need to talk about this because a lot of people deal with it. And it's easy for us in the church to pretend that everyone's fine, everyone believes everything we believe, everyone believes everything we teach, and no one is struggling with doubt. But God, I find that that's just not the case. So Father, as we approach and deal with this very personal and sensitive subject, God, I pray that you would move that you would speak, and that you would be present, Father. And that these words would be, very, would be helpful and would, would in a way create uh, another road or another path for someone who's struggling in dealing with doubts and questions. In your name we pray, amen. I, to be honest, am doubting this whole beard thing that I started a couple weeks ago. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had vacation Bible school, and I played a character in our skits. His name was Dr. You guys remember? Digging Stone. Dr. Digging Stone, and he was an explorer and a treasure hunter, and I thought, this is perfect. I'm just not going to shave this week. It's one less thing I have to do, and I'll just grow it out because, you know, he's a jungle explorer treasure hunter guy. I was like, he would have a beard. He would have scruff. And so after that week went by, I came to church, and I had a skit, so I, I left it on, and some people were like, Chris, that's not bad. Like, I'm kind of impressed. And I was like, oh, really? Thanks, you know? And then I was like, you know what? I think I'll just keep it. Let's just see where this goes. It's just like, surrender it to the Lord. Give it to God and, and see where he takes my facial hair. And so it's been about two weeks since then. And I'm having doubts, guys. I'm having doubts. I'm not sure if this was a good idea. Because I talked about this in church many years ago. I grew a mustache. I grew a mustache for about four months, I think, at my previous church, and everyone was like, Chris, you need to get rid of that thing. You were not born to have a mustache. 
That's not what you're supposed to do. That's not your identity in Jesus. So please remove that. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And then one day I was like looking at myself in the mirror and like I saw it. I saw what people saw. And I was like, yeah, this is a bad idea. Um, and I don't know why, this time I thought like my hair follicles have moved and like changed different shapes and positions and changed directions and that it was going to be different this time. But I realized, yeah, it's not good. I, got, I, I realized that for people who have great facial hair and mustaches and beards, like your hair needs to go down, right? That's the key. It needs to go down. Mine, go out, <laughs> right? Like not all of them, but many of them just go straight forward. And I don't understand why that's happening. And so I was like, oh yeah, that's why the mustache didn't work out. And that's probably why maybe I shouldn't have this beard. So I've been like doubting myself. And a Tracy, my wife, has been very encouraging. She's been like, yeah, you know, just, you can just keep going. You know, like whatever you want to do. She's been very nice about it. Other people, not so much. But I've been doubting, right? And, and it's like, I know this is a silly example. But as I think about what are the things that are making me doubt this, this silly thing like growing a beard, uh, it, it's, you know, my experiences, what I see in myself, what I'm hearing from other people, um, what, I'm, what I'm learning about myself through the experience of growing this beard. I realized that, you know, one of my favorite kind of like lazy poses, you guys this where you lay down on the bed, but you keep your head up like this so you can like look at something. When I do that, it's extra itchy and scratchy here, and it's like very uncomfortable. I was like, oh yeah, this doesn't feel that good. This doesn't feel that good. And I don't know, my... Okay, we can stop talking about my beard for now. But my point is, is that whether it's something silly like facial hair or something else, or it's something serious like a crisis of faith or, or, or what you believe about God, in a, in a lot of ways, the sources of doubt are very similar. It's like, what am I experiencing? What am I learning? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I hearing from other people about this thing? What am I, what am I, uh, uh, what am I, consuming and that how is that affecting what I think about the particular subject or topic. And so this is why I feel like, like no matter who you are, this is going to be part of your spiritual journey. Doubt is a part of your spiritual journey. It's going to happen. Whether you've been in church for your entire life or you're new to church, doubt is going to come at some point. And I think we don't really know how to deal with it. And maybe we have some ideas. Some are helpful. Some are harmful. It doesn't matter who you are, though. You will deal with doubt at some point because we live in this world. And we're going to talk next week about how the fact that our world today is actually bent toward doubt and is leaning towards doubt. And so we are affected by that in the church, absolutely. I believe that we are, will all face doubt so much so that as I look in Scripture, I see people in the Bible where when I see them having doubt, it makes me realize, yeah, like absolutely everyone will have doubt. Today we're going to talk about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, and we're going to talk about a season of his life where he doubted and he had questions and he had issues. So in the story of Matthew chapter 11, uh, Jesus is teaching and he's doing these things and we find out that John is actually in prison. He's in prison, and he's unjustly imprisoned for doing the right thing and saying the, the right thing, but it was kind of the wrong thing to say to the king, and the king was very offended, um, and he threw him in prison, and he's there, and Jesus is teaching. And so the story goes, Matthew chapter 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one 
who is to come, or should we expect someone else? This is a question of doubt. When he says the one to come, he's talking about the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the chosen one, the anointed one. Are you that guy, or is there someone else coming? John the Baptist is having doubts. Now, let me give you guys a little understanding of who John the Baptist was and some of the experiences John the Baptist had. John the Baptist's life, listen, his life was foretold in the Old Testament. His life and work was foretold in the Old Testament. There's going to be a guy who's going to do this thing, and that guy is John. Okay, so that's a big deal. He was prophesied in the Old Testament. And then he comes on the scene and he does his life and his work. And his work is to come before the Messiah, prepare the way for Messiah, prepare people to accept and receive the Messiah. This is John the Baptist. Big mission, big God, big life, right? And he was, he was amazing at his job. Like he was fulfilling his, his, his mission in life. He was so good at his job that people looked at him and they're like, John, are you the Messiah? He was so good at preaching and teaching and convicting and leading people to righteousness and repentance. And he had such power and influence that people thought he was the Messiah. And he said, no, 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 no. It's not me. It's not me. In fact, he's coming and he's so amazing that I am not even worthy to tie his shoes. He is amazing. Just wait. It's not me. And then John the Baptist is the guy who is not only the one to pave the way for the Messiah, he's the cousin of Jesus. And the story goes in the book of Luke that when John was in his mother's womb, right, like when he was a, a fetus, he was in utero, and Jesus' mom, Mary, was pregnant, and the two moms came together, John in the womb leapt for joy. He was praising Jesus in the womb, okay? Like, this is John the Baptist. This is the kind of person he was. This is how faithful he was. In his life, he was the one who baptized Jesus. He baptized Jesus, and when he baptized Jesus, the heavens split, right? The heavens split, and the Holy Spirit came down on them like a dove, it says, and they heard the audible voice of God. They heard the audible voice of God that said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. John heard that, saw that, experienced that. He heard the audible voice of God. You know, the thing that we would all love to hear if we could hear it, he heard it. He was so convicted that Jesus was the Messiah that when he saw him, he told all his disciples, quiet, 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 look at that guy. You see that guy? And they're like, yeah, you mean that very normal-looking guy walking on the road? I don't know who he is. You don't know who he is? That is, and this is what he says in John chapter 1, verse 29. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was so convinced, so convicted, so passionate that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew it in his heart of hearts, in the depths of his soul. He knew it and he preached it and he lived it. To the point when his work, his ministry began to decrease because his followers were following Jesus. Like all the time and energy and effort that he put to gather this following, they're leaving him. He was like, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. He said, he must increase I must decrease. This John the Baptist, with all that under his belt, with all those experiences in this moment, he's like, so are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the Messiah that we were supposed to expect? Or just tell me, is there someone else? Just let me know because maybe I, I won't get my hopes. It's just I, I don't know what to believe anymore. I knew before 
but right now I don't really know because I'm in prison and like I'm struggling here and I'm suffering and it's not, it's not great. So, so what, what's happening? John is having doubts. John the Baptist of all people is having doubts. So simply the first thing I want you to understand today is if John the Baptist had doubts, you can have doubts. You are allowed to have questions and doubts. It is reasonable for you to have doubts, especially if someone like John the Baptist had doubts. Listen to what Jesus says about John the Baptist, okay? So it's one thing to look at his life and be like, oh, he's great. But Jesus himself, look at what he says about John the Baptist in Matthew 11, 11. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, right? In, in sports and in things, people always talk about who is the greatest of all time, the GOAT. The greatest of all time. So in football, who is the greatest of all time? Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning. Who's the greatest of all time? That's like a conversation that the, 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 the sports shows always have. In baseball, in basketball, they're always talking about who's the GOAT, who's the GOAT, who's the GOAT. And no one really can, can say for sure. But Jesus walks in and he says, listen, I'm Jesus, and the GOAT is John the Baptist. He's the greatest of all time. He is the great, listen to what he said, he's the greatest human being to have ever lived up until this point. It's John the Baptist. And what's interesting is he says this in Matthew chapter 11, 11, after John has brought forth his doubts to Jesus. This was not before. This is not before John showed that he had doubts and questions. It was after that Jesus still maintains John is the goat. He is the greatest of all time. So you can have doubts. You can have doubts. For you to have questions, for you to struggle, it is a reasonable thing to have questions and doubts with this thing that we call faith, with this thing that we call Christianity, with these beliefs and, and, and ideas surrounding Jesus and God who is, who is in a way unknowable yet noble. Like it is reasonable for you to have doubts and questions. You and your doubts are welcome here. I really want you guys to hear this. You and your doubts are welcome here, in this place. You who have questions, you who have issues, you who struggle with believing, you are welcome here. You can ask those questions. We're going to talk a little bit about things that we can understand about doubt from this story, but I want to begin with this. And, and maybe you already knew. Hopefully you already knew. Hopefully you already felt that within your community and within your people, you can share your doubts and questions that you would be accepted and loved no matter what. Hopefully you knew. But just in case you didn't, just in case there's some mixed messaging coming from our community, maybe from me, I want to put it out there. You and your doubts are welcome in this church and in this community. I want you to please, please, understand that. So I want to look at the story, and, and it reveals two really important things about doubt. And so this is the first thing that I want to share. When it comes to doubts, this is what the first thing we have to understand. Doubts in the present do not invalidate what was real in the past. Let me read that again. Doubts in the present right now do not invalidate what was real in the past. Meaning, John the Baptist is having doubts. He's not sure. He has questions. 
But that does not mean the things that he experienced with Jesus before, that those things were fake. And those things were figments of his imagination. Just because John is having doubts now does not mean that when he baptized him, God didn't open the heavens and the Holy Spirit did not descend and God did not speak. That still happened. That was real. That happened to John. But just because you are doubting now, just because he is doubting now, does not mean that never happened. It does not mean that his convictions to make everyone quiet and point to Jesus and say, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It doesn't mean that that conviction, that passion was fake or wrong or, 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 or misplaced. Just because you, he has doubts now does not mean that the things he knew and believed and experienced in the past that led him to faith and belief, that those things are fake or wrong, or were just imagination, or maybe he ate something weird, or just was, it, it was a weird day, maybe he was having a heat stroke, you know, it's not that, and I think the reason why this is important is because when we struggle and when we doubt, what we tend to do is we tend to doubt the whole thing, like right now, I may be struggling with doubt, and so you wonder, maybe what I saw, maybe what I experienced, maybe the conviction I felt in the past, maybe that was all nothing. You know, that time that, that, that really God moved on my heart and I felt like really convicted and I really felt like he was reaching out to me and that like started my whole faith journey. Right now, because I'm doubting, maybe that thing was all, maybe that was nothing. And we tend to do this as human beings. When we doubt in the present, we tend to even invalidate all the experiences we had with God in the past. But let me tell you this. As we look at this story, just because you're doubting now, it doesn't mean the stuff that you experienced was not real then. It was real. What you saw, what you experienced, what you felt, what you, what you knew, what you were convicted of, what you were passionate about then, that was all real. That was God. Just because John the Baptist is doubting now doesn't mean that Jesus is not the Lamb of God who takes the sin in the world. He still is and continues to be whether John is doubting or not. And that's the same thing with you as well. If you're doubting now and you have questions now, the things you experienced in the past, they were real. The things that led you to faith in the first place, that was real. That was God reaching out to you. That was your heavenly father loving you and showing you his care and, and, and wanting you to experience his love. That was real. Don't invalidate the past just because you have some doubts now. As we look at this, we also understand the second thing to know about doubt is that doubt is neutral. Doubt is neutral. Doubt is neither good nor bad. And I know that that's not often how we feel, and I get it. I'm, I'm a pastor. I get how I've seen what doubt can do and where doubt can take people. But as you look at the story, especially we're going to get into it, as you look at Jesus' response to doubt, we see that doubt is not necessarily good or bad. If anything, if we had to choose a side, doubt, I think, leads towards good, actually, if anything. Doubt can lead to things that are good and lead to things that are bad. But in and of itself, doubt is neutral and actually leans, I think, on the side of good. Here's why I think that. Think about Jesus' response to John, and we'll put it on the screen. John comes in with his doubts. John, all right, John who is like, he's his guy. He's his forerunner, the Bible says. He's the guy. He's, he's his, like, his partner in ministry almost. And he comes and he shares with him, I'm, doubt, I'm doubting, I question, I don't think you are who I thought you were. Like, my whole life was based on the fact that I believed you were the Son of God, but maybe you're not. So it's a big deal. And then this is Jesus' response. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, 
the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's it. That's Jesus' response. The reason I'm pointing this out is Jesus is not freaking out about John's doubt. Jesus is not upset at John's doubt, is he? He's not angry. Jesus doesn't even seem worried that John the Baptist, the guy who's like his guy, is doubting Jesus. Jesus is like, his answer is so matter-of-fact and it's so calm. And before you tell me, well, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't get mad. Jesus doesn't like yell at people. Let me show you this story. Think about this other time. John was talking to another one of his disciples. His name is Peter. He's talking to his disciples, and he's telling them, hey, one day I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and guess what? Some bad things are going to happen to me. They're going to arrest me, they're going to take me, and they're going to kill me. And then Peter says to him, no, no, that's not going to happen. This is found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. Look at what Peter says. It says, Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to go to Jerusalem. I don't want this to happen to you. And you look at Jesus' response. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is a rebuke. This is in Peter's face a rebuke. This is not what Jesus did to John. Very, very different. To John, he simply reports what is happening. Think about this. These things are happening. Jesus is not upset. Jesus is not worried. Jesus is not mad. Jesus is not judging. And Jesus does not rebuke John for doubting. He does not. I, th I was thinking about what I would do in this situation, right? Like, if my guy, my girl, like, my person in ministry that we're, like, close and we're, like, connected, like, if that person started losing faith and having doubts, what would I do? The person who, who, who comes to mind, obviously, is Pastor Jonathan, right? If Pastor Jonathan, he and I, like, we're it, right? Like, we're a team here. And, like, I love having him, and we love having him this church. Like, it's so great. You know, before, I would, like, do staff meetings alone by myself, all quiet, talking to myself, and, you know. And then he came, and, like, staff meetings are fun, and we go and eat, like, tacos together, and we fellowship, and then we share ideas, and it's fantastic. Like, he's my guy, right? Like, when I think about who the best way to, 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 to see this relationship, if you guys don't know, right, maybe you guys wonder, what is it like between Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Chris, right? Is, he, is Pastor Chris a good boss? Right? Is, he, is he a mean boss? What is he like? The best way, if, if you guys have seen any of the Avengers movies and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the best way to describe our relationship is I am Iron Man, okay, and he is Spider-Man. That's our relationship, okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch the movies, right? Iron Man, super cool, right? So we'll just start with that. But he's like the guy, right? He, he like, he, he's been in it for a while. And then he brings on Peter Parker's Spider-Man as kind of his like mentee. And he's like showing them ropes and he's showing them how to, uh, how to like do the things. And then Spider-Man is doing amazing things on his own. And, and then Iron Man is doing his own things. But then together they work together and he like cares for him. Like that's our relationship, right? That's our relationship. And if Pastor Jonathan one day came to me and say, hey, listen, like I'm having some real doubts about this, this whole whole thing about Jesus. I don't know, like what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing, what I'm learning, what I'm hearing, maybe this is all fake. 
And maybe you've thought that too. Maybe I'm just like crazy, and maybe I, this is all just like a figment of my, if he came to me and told me that, I would get worried. I would get worried. I'd like, mm. I, would, I mean, I wouldn't freak out in front of him, but I would like, I'd be praying, I'd be like thinking, I'd be thinking about what, what, what happened, what, what, what happened in his life, what did he learn, what did he read, what, what am I doing, how come I'm not doing anything about it, how am I supposed to respond? Like, I would be freaking out. But Jesus, when John the Baptist, his guy, is having doubts, he's like, he's cool, and he's calm, and he's collected. See, Jesus does not rebuke doubt. Jesus rebukes unbelief. And that's the difference between Peter and John the Baptist. John is showing and displaying doubt. Peter is showing and displaying unbelief. And what you have to know is that doubt is not unbelief. These are two different things. Doubting is different than unbelieving. Doubting is actually the struggle to believe. When you doubt, it's because you want to believe. You're doubting because you, you, you believe something and then you hear or experience or learn something else and you're not able to fit and you're like, how, I don't really understand how this works anymore. How can I kind of bring the two together? How am I supposed to understand it? That is a part of the journey. It is good to do that. It is good to struggle in that way. Doubt is, is a struggle to believe. Unbelief is the refusal to believe. Unbelief is the refusal to receive new information. Unbelief is, is the equivalent of putting your hand, your fingers in your ear and going, blah, 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 I can't hear you. Because that's what Peter does. Jesus says, I have to go, I have to die on the cross. And Peter's like, no, 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 blah, 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 I can't hear you, Jesus, that's not going to happen. That's unbelief. And that's what Jesus rebukes. The refusal to believe, the refusal to listen, the refusal to open your mind to information that would lead to life of faith, that's what Jesus rebukes. Jesus does not rebuke doubt. That's why I think doubt is neutral. Jesus is not freaking out about doubt. So if you are doubting, I want you to understand the posture of Jesus and the heart of Jesus towards you. He is not angry. He's not upset. He's not judging or condemning you if you doubt. In fact, I believe if you are doubting, he is leaning into you. If your children, parents, are doubting, I want you to understand the posture of your heavenly father. He is not angry, he is not upset, and he is not judging or condemning them. He is leaning in to them to navigate that doubt and lead them to a richer and deeper faith. You see, doubt is, we see it as a negative thing, but doubt can really be a catalyst for deeper faith. When I look at my own life and my own story, deeper faith, deeper experiences, deeper knowledge of God came from a place where I wondered and I wasn't sure. And next week, I'll talk a little bit about some of the doubts that I had to deal with and I had to struggle through. See, doubt is not necessarily dangerous or harmful to faith. And I know if you're a parent and you think about your kids doubting and, and losing faith, it's a scary thing. Like for me, that's terrifying. Like that's the one thing I want in my life for my children is that they have faith. And they love Jesus. Like, I don't really care about anything else. I don't care what job they do. I don't care where they live. I don't care where they go to school. I just want them to love Jesus. Like, that's all that matters to me. And if that doesn't happen, like, I would be heartbroken. I would be so, so sad. But I have to understand that doubt is a part of the journey. It's not good or bad. It's just natural. And it's not necessarily harmful to faith. In fact, there's a uh, group of uh, uh, researchers in, at Fuller, Fuller Seminary down in Southern California. It's called the Fuller Youth Institute, and they do all these studies on youth 
and young adults. And one of their, their main like, topics of study and research is uh, what keeps youth and kids in the church. Why are people leaving? Why are people staying? As they do all this research, and there's just one conclusion that I want to share with you guys. They, what they realize in their study is that the freedom to express doubt correlates to mature faith for many young people. Okay? The, the freedom to express doubt is correlated to deep, mature faith, not the opposite. And they said what actually is the most toxic to faith is the inability or an environment where they are unable to freely express doubt or question. This is how they conclude their kind of research. It's not doubt that is toxic to faith. It's silence. It's not doubt that's toxic to faith. It's silence. You know, and, and I feel like a lot of people know this, right? You, you, you know that if someone comes to you with doubts and questions, you probably know and have heard many times that you cannot say things like, you can't ask those kind of questions. You can't ask that kind of stuff. You can't, you can't think those kinds of things. I think most people know that that's like not a great way to respond to young people when they have questions and doubts. But I want you to think about, there's other ways that, that we think are good ways to respond to doubt that actually are not, right? When someone comes to you with doubts and questions and issues, you have to understand that, especially if it's in the beginning stage, it's a very vulnerable place to be. It's a scary place to be. When you are in a place where you think everyone believes something and then you are starting to think that maybe that's not true, to ask somebody about that is really, really scary. So please know that if someone comes to you without, understand that they're coming with like insecurity, anxiety, and some fear. They don't know what you're going to do. And they don't know what you're going to say. But in that moment, obviously saying like, oh, no, you can't ask that question. That's a bad question, da, da, da. We know that's wrong. But also sometimes giving an answer too quickly does the same thing. Giving an answer that is too simple and too fast, that can also lead to that same experience. Because it seems like you're kind of like, you're kind of brushing them away with a simple answer. That also leads to silence. The other thing we do, and this is partly a good thing, is you, you ask the question, and, and for the most part, sometimes some kids bring up some really, really good questions, and you don't know the answer. And like, what are you supposed to do if you don't know the answer? Well, we, we, we know and we've taught that what you're supposed to say is like, that's a really good question. That's a great question. Let me look into it and let's get back together and let's talk about it. That's good. But if you save it and you never meet up and talk about it, that's bad. Because that's saying the exact same thing. Your doubts are not recognized. Not enough for me to actually do what I said I was going to do. And believe me or not, the young person who asks those questions, they're going to be wondering. Hey, so, you know, they're going to see you and they're going to say, oh, I wonder if he's going to come up to me and we're going to figure out a time to talk about it. I wonder if we're going to talk about it today. Oh, okay, man, not today. Maybe next week. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it. They're busy. And next week rolls around. Oh, okay, I guess we're not talking about it next week. Enough time goes by. Oh, that person doesn't care. They don't care about my doubts. They don't care about my questions. I'm struggling with it still. I'm still scared. I'm still nervous. I still have anxiety. But that person... They said they would talk about it. They said they would look into it, but there's nothing. So we have to be really careful and be aware of the situation when people are coming to us with doubt. It's not doubt that is toxic to faith. It's silence that is toxic to faith. So 
We understand about doubt. Hopefully we're understanding that number one, just because we're doubting now, it does not invalidate all the experiences we had in the past with God. Those are still real. We also understand hopefully that doubt is not toxic to faith, that doubt is neutral, that doubt actually leans toward good because it can be a catalyst to deep faith and maturity. But I want to do now, I want to look at Jesus' actual response to John because I believe that the way Jesus responded to John is how he responds to us and you when you have doubts and questions and struggles. Okay, so in Matthew eleven three, 3, John says the question, are you the one? Are we supposed to expect someone else? And we read this, but he says in verse 4, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Which sounds good. It sounds like an answer, but actually Jesus is not really answering the question. John says, are you the one or should we expect someone else? And he says, well, this is what's happening. Remember what you're seeing. The problem is with this answer is that John already knew this. This is not new information. This is not like John is like, oh, yeah, I forgot that you were doing all these wonderful things and healing people and saving people. I totally forgot about that. Because in verse 2, it says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples. He already knew what Jesus was doing. He knew the miracles Jesus was performing. He knew the teaching Jesus was teaching. He knew that the lame were walking and the blind were singing. He knew that. That's why he asked the question. Because Jesus is doing these very Messiah-y type things. So he's wondering, are you really the Messiah? So it's like John said, hey, Jesus, so I noticed that you're like healing people and doing a lot of things that the Messiah is supposed to do. You're like even raising people from the dead and you're teaching amazing things. So is it you? Are you the Messiah? And then Jesus responds by saying, well, John, as you know, I'm healing people and teaching people and raising people from the dead, and people are walking who couldn't walk before. That's what's happening right now. That's the conversation. And so you would imagine John would hear that message and be like, like, so what? Right? What do, what do you mean? Like, that's it. That's all he said. And the disciples are like, yeah, that's all he said. He's like, no, no, no. You must be forgetting something. And then the disciples are like, no, no, that's exactly what he said. He's like, are you serious? That's all he said? That doesn't help me. I already knew that. And what's really interesting is that Jesus' answer, we're almost done. Jesus' answer is actually a reference to a prophecy in Isaiah that says the Messiah will do all these things and lists all these things that the Messiah will do, like make the lame walk, have the blind see, raise the dead to life, preach the good news to the poor. And so Jesus is referring and referencing that quote and that prophecy in his answer, but he leaves out something. Because at the end of the list in Isaiah, when it says he's going to do all these things, the last thing it says is release the captives and free the prisoners. And Jesus doesn't say that to John. When he asks him, are you the one? He says, well, I'm doing all these Messiah-type things, but the one thing I'm not doing, John, while you're in prison, is I'm not releasing the prisoners. See, we get a, a look into why John is doubting. John is doubting because of unmet expectations from Jesus. And that's something we can relate with, isn't it? The reason oftentimes so many doubt is because of unmet expectations. I thought God was going to do this, but he did this, or he didn't do this. 
I believe Jesus was supposed to be like this, but he's not like this. I thought he meant to do this and he taught this, but now I'm learning that it's actually this and I don't know about that. It's, it's this tension and the conflict between what we think Jesus is supposed to be, what we think Jesus is supposed to do, and what we're actually seeing in real life. That's where John's doubt is really coming from. It's not a mental, logical, rational pursuit. John is in prison, and he's like, I'm, I thought you are supposed to free prisoners. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but I'm not going to. John is experiencing doubt because he thinks Jesus is the Messiah, but he's supposed to then do things like free prisoners, but he's still in prison. But that does not mean Jesus is not the Messiah. He still is the Messiah, even though John is in prison. And so in that state, in that place of unmet expectations and doubt coming from that place of unmet expectation, Jesus does teach one other thing. And this is actually the core of what Jesus is teaching to John in his doubt. And so this is like the last thing, the most important thing we're going to talk about today. In his place of doubt, this is what Jesus says. And at first you're going to read it and you're going to be like, what does that even mean? It's like one of those things where Jesus says something you're like, I don't know what that is. He says, at the end of that, where he talks about like all the things he's doing, he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He closes off that like statement of all the things he's doing and he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So let me explain this real quick a little bit. The word there translated for stumble, is the, it literally means stumbling block. And this is something, if you grew up in church, you've heard. A stumbling block. It's something on the ground that you trip over and fall. And so when I think of that, I think of like the parking bumpers. Have you guys ever tripped on a parking bumper? Right? Like it's so low that you're not really sure it's there, but it's tall enough to actually trip you up. Right? It's, a, it's something that when you walk into it, when you're not looking, when you're not paying attention, your foot will get caught, you'll trip and fall. You fall into sin, fall away. It's a stumbling block. So he says, blessed is anyone, so happy, at peace, uh, 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 people are well off, those who are really happy in life are the ones who do not stumble, who do not hit a stumbling block and fall, and this is the key, on account of me. What does it mean when he says, on account of me? To make this simple, what Jesus is saying to John is the people who are truly happy in life, the people who are truly at peace in life, the people who are truly wealthy, and the people who are truly blessed are the people who, even though I don't meet their expectations, even though I don't do the things they want me to do, and I don't say the things that people want me to say, and I am living and doing the things that they, that they didn't think I would do, when I do not meet expectations, blessed are the people who will still trust me in spite of that. When Jesus says to John, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, what he's saying to them is blessed are the people who even though they think I'm disappointing them and failing them, in spite of all that, will still be able to trust me. So at the end of the day, in this moment of doubt and insecurity and anxiety for John, in that space, Jesus does not answer the question. He does not invite John into certainty. He does not invite Jesus into answers. He invites Jesus into trust. In that place of doubt, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who really can trust me. Blessed are those who trust me even though I may not be meeting their expectations. This is about trust, not answers or certainty. But 
That's what we want when we are in places of doubt, isn't it? When we doubt God and we doubt our experiences and we doubt faith, what we want are answers. What we want is certainty. But Jesus is not interested in giving you certainty. God, Jesus is not interested in making you certain and, 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 and having that sense of like, oh, for sure, I know this because I believe this and this makes sense and this makes sense and this makes sense. He's interested in whether or not you trust him. See, what I'm realizing now, that the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. The opposite of trust is certainty. And John, who deserves certainty, he deserves answers, right? He's given his whole life to Jesus in that place of doubt. Jesus is like, hey, John, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust that I am who you once believed I was. And I know things don't look great right now, but I want you to trust me. What I'm learning about following Jesus in our world today is that following Jesus is not about living a life free of doubt. It's about living a life full of trust. It's about living a life full of trust. And the success and the goal of your battles with doubt, when you struggle with doubt and you're like trying to learn and you figure and you study and you look up things and you read things, all that is really good. It's all very helpful to seek out answers and truth and understanding. Absolutely, and I totally think you should do that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the goal and success of your struggle with doubt is not answers, it's trust. We'll talk a little bit about next week why answers are sometimes overrated, and maybe answers is not really what you're looking for. We'll talk about that next week. But I want to close by helping us to understand this place of doubt is actually a place of invitation to trust in him. Now, next week, as we talk about the, um, the, the what to do with doubt and stuff like that, if there's some of you guys, when you heard that kind of like closing statement of mine as this message ended, like, oh, just trust him, there's some of you that were like, I don't know. Come on, man. Like, that's what you're going to give me? After all that is just trust him? If you're in that place, like, I totally understand why you're there. If that answer was, like, not very inspiring for you and you're kind of disappointed and you have some unmet expectations with me because you thought maybe we're going to do something a little bit more, more, more meaningful and a little bit more surprising, a little bit more unique, and you're like, I don't know, it's just trust, we're going to deal with that next week. And we're going to talk about why you feel that way. And I get it and I understand. And there's a reason why you feel that way. And the reason why trust it doesn't feel like a great answer to you, and we're going to deal with that next week as we continue with our series of, called Doubt in Part 2. So I invite you guys back to listen, to come and watch, to watch online as we continue our series. And we're going to deal with this. And hopefully, I believe it's going to lead us to a place of deeper, richer faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for giving us a chance to tackle this very personal, very difficult subject. And Lord, I know what doubt can do, and I know where doubt can lead, but I also know that doubt can be a catalyst for amazing faith and amazing growth, and, and we just got to stick with it. We just got to trust. And so, Lord, if there's anyone who is in a place of doubt, I pray that, number one, they would understand that we understand and that we don't judge people or rebuke people for doubts, but instead we want to lean in towards those who are in that place. And I pray, Father, that this, this message series would just be a beginning of a journey to someone 
finding deeper faith, someone learning more about you, falling in love with you. And Father, if there's any hang-ups, we welcome them today. We don't ask that you just kind of blow them away. We ask that those people with hang-ups would be drawn into this conversation and be drawn into these ideas and thoughts. And Father, in the end, we would find maybe not certainty or answers, but we would find that we truly, truly trust you. Lord, let that be cultivated and developed in our lives through this, through this series. Thank you for each person here. In your name we pray. Amen.